This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. Time has just gone 7.41 And thank you so much Anthony Reich joining us a little bit earlier today I just think that we need to make a greater effort To uh, Ooh, that's always interesting hmm. Okay, so um, Anthony Reich, you with us Bokotov Bokotov Good morning um, Before we get into the Um the main bits of the news of this morning. There are just a little, a couple of snippets which I thought are worth sharing. Um, the first of which is that there is so much talk about humanitarian aid entering Gaza. Israel has been criticized uh, for not allowing enough humanitarian aid into Gaza. A number of countries have come to um, uh, the party saying that they wish to participate in providing humanitarian aid to um, the Gazans. And in fact, we see videos of huge trucks entering the Gaza Strip with massive amounts of humanitarian aid loaded onto those trucks. What's interesting for me is that um, most of those trucks drive pretty quickly through the crossing and into Gaza somewhere, seemingly away from where the refugees are located. You always seem to see the refugees around. Uh, they, They seem to be concentrated in certain areas. And the humanitarian trucks seem to drive in a completely different direction. And then in recent times, we've seen um, uh, some of the refugees actually waiting at the border for these trucks to come in, and people literally jump onto the trucks and start ripping goods uh, from those trucks. Um, And the reason that all of this is happening like this is because most of that humanitarian aid is not being provided to the refugees. It's actually going to Hamas. And so what happens is that the people who really need it are waiting for those trucks to come in. They don't even allow the trucks to stop. They jump onto the truck while it's still moving in order to see if they can grab whatever they can grab, tip things off the truck even while it's moving in order to feed the hungry people who, who really need it. And there was an ironic sort of video that I saw yesterday of a truck which was laden with bottles of water. And the truck driver seemingly felt sorry for the people who were around and really wanting to get their hands on some of the water. And he took the corner as he was driving pretty fast at some speed. And a whole bunch, a whole lot of the truck, of the water that was on the back of the truck tipped off, fell off the truck onto the road. He drove off to wherever he was delivering his water to, and it left the water on the road for those people who were around the truck to be able to get some of it at least for themselves. So I, I, I want to just, you know, I know that this is not information that's um, publicly known, 
but a lot of the humanitarian aid, the so-called humanitarian aid that's been sent to Gaza is not reaching the people for whom it's intended, which is really not a new phenomenon in Gaza. We already know that right. when we see how much money has been spent, invested in the tunnels and in uh, 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 all kinds of infrastructure uh, designed to attack Israel and how poorly the people in Gaza live and all that money that has been used to develop their the terrorist infrastructure, a lot of it has come from donation money. And in fact, just yesterday, um, one of the um, IDF units came across in a home five million shekels in cash in a suitcase that was left there um, in that house uh, somewhere in Khan Yunus when they were busy doing their operations. So, um, you know, we need to just put this on the table and allow people to understand what the issue is, that it's fine to protest in favor of the Gazans and the refugees and to feel sorry for them, which of course we all do because innocent civilians don't deserve this kind of treatment at all. But let's also remember who is responsible for creating the situation in which these innocent civilians are being caught up. And, uh, you know, obviously what I'm saying to you is that this is not a situation that's being designed by Israel. So that was the first little snippet. I know a little bit longer than, than I'd intended, um, but that was the first one. The second one is that we call this war that we're in now Operation Swords of Iron. And the word operation seems to be somewhat controversial because people are saying, guys, this is really not an operation. An operation means kind of a limited uh, uh, military activity of some sort. This is a war, and we really need to call it a war rather than Operation Swords of Iron. And it was interesting that yesterday the, the War Cabinet, amongst other things, discussed this particular matter. And the Prime Minister raised the issue that this is not an operation, and he feels that the name is not an appropriate name because we're not in an operation. It's a war. So he's recommended three possible names to call this war, which is open for discussion at the moment and hasn't been decided upon. And I wanted to open up to the listeners as well to see what you guys think. So the first suggestion is the Gaza war. The second suggestion is the Simchat Torah war. And the third suggestion is the Genesis war, obviously with the link of Genesis to Simchat Torah to the period of time in which it took place. So what do you guys think? Interesting. All right, so you can let us know on 34519. Uh, Anthony's going to just recap the three choices. If you could, re- if you could the three rename names the war. Be suggested. Right. Then, uh, yeah, the three names are the Gaza War, the Simchat Torah War, or the Genesis War. There we go. So uh, let us know your thoughts. 34519 is a text line or 061-895-1019. This is your chance to weigh in on uh, what you think it should be called. All right, Anthony, let's uh, look at some of the other news. Just Can we just get back to what we were talking about when you were talking about humanitarian aid um, going into Gaza? What is the solution for the people of Gaza? I mean, why doesn't, is, why doesn't Egypt open up their borders and allow innocent people in? Why doesn't Egypt take refugees if necessary or help with humanitarian aid? So this is a very interesting discussion because it's not only Egypt but in fact the Jordanians as well who are very nervous about the possibility of a massive influx of people from Gaza Um, and um, the reason why Egypt um, doesn't want um, the, uh, the refugees in Egypt 
is, I suppose, uh, it goes to a number of points. First of all, we remember what happened in 1948, where refugees left uh, what was then Palestine and what became Israel, and they were told by their leaders that they would be back soon to reclaim whatever was part of the Jewish state. They were promised that it would be from the river to the sea, and they would be able to reclaim their property. It wasn't Israel who um, kicked those people out. And uh, refugee camps were set up in a number of different neighboring countries um, in order to accommodate those people on a temporary basis. Those refugee camps still exist today, and those people were never allowed to make uh, to become citizens of those countries. And we can see another situation arising similar to the one that arose in 1948, where you create this permanent ongoing refugee status, because even if Egypt were to allow those people to come in and be refugees, at least on a temporary basis. And first of all, the question is, to what extent would Egypt be able to control those people? Because don't forget that the Sinai, which is on the other side of the Gaza border, is vast and is unpoliceable in any respect and is a part of Egypt where if people would escape from that refugee camp, they would go into Egypt and they would never be traceable. So they would effectively become part of the Egyptian fabric, um, illegally perhaps, but nonetheless part of the Egyptian fabric. And that could happen to maybe dozens of people. It might happen to hundreds of people. It could happen to tens of thousands of people. And Egypt is not ready to absorb people from Gaza into Egypt. Egypt doesn't seem to have a way of policing this particular problem. They can't uh, somehow set up a refugee camp which is uh, very well policed and doesn't allow people to mingle and to become part of Egypt. And I think Egypt is very, very concerned about the possible impact on its country if tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people suddenly just escape into Egypt and who knows what will happen thereafter. I think there is an inherent distrust between Egypt and the civilians in Gaza and what will happen to them and how they behave. And the Jordanians are in exactly the same situation. The Jordanians are extremely nervous of the possibility of people coming to Jordan, which is why the Jordanians are really participating to try and bring humanitarian aid to Gaza, bring it away from Jordan and put it in Gaza, to try and set up a field hospital in Gaza, to try and direct all of their aid, all of their efforts in Gaza, anything just to keep people inside Gaza and not allow them to escape from there. So it's very, very interesting the way that the Arab countries are behaving around this issue. They're all supposedly coming to the party, being highly critical of Israel, trying to help the Gazans. But there are conditions, and the conditions are that whatever they do to help the Gazans needs to be done in Gaza. And of course, once it's being done in Gaza, then it's subject to Hamas control and to Hamas having a say as to who gets what money, who gets what aid, and there is little doubt that Hamas always gets the first pickings. So interesting. I mean, I, as you were speaking, I actually just Googled the um, the Palestinian diaspora figures. So Jordan is 3.24 million Palestinians. That's a huge number of Palestinians living in Jordan. It is a huge number. And, of course, don't forget that the uh, the Jordanian monarchy comes from a minority grouping within within Jordan, the Hashemites. They are not a majority in Jordan, and they are very, very tenuous as the ruling family in Jordan. And the last thing that the Jordanians would want is 
an increase in the number of people who are not Hashemites coming into Jordan and potentially creating some sort of a, 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 a problem, some sort of instability within Jordan to challenge the ruling family, the Jordanian a Hashemite royal family. Yeah, it's so interesting these figures. I mean, next up is Israel with 1.65, then is Syria with 630,000, Chile is the largest Palestinian community outside of the Middle East with 500,000, Lebanon 402,000, Anthony, Saudi Arabia 280,000. It's it's unbelievable. Right. And all of those people are not given local rights. None of them have been allowed to assume citizenships of those countries in the Middle East even if they might have been living there for decades and generations, but they are always still foreigners and are always still not considered to be local citizens in any way. Most countries around the world, once you've lived there for five years or whatever it is, you eventually can be naturalized. In the case of the Palestinians, they've never been allowed to be naturalized, and on the contrary, they've been forced to live in these so-called refugee camps for the last 75 years. Yeah. Okay, so um, just I just want to remind you that we are doing a poll. There are three possible names for this uh, operation, Swords of Iron, um, that thinking of changing, not us, <laughs> Israel. <laughs> um, so one is, and we're asking you to vote because we want to try and get a public opinion on this. So one is the Genesis War. The second one is the Simcha Torah War. And the third one is, Anthony? The Gaza War. The Gaza War. So you let me know what you th- which name you think would be best. So far in the lead, we have the Genesis War, Anthony. Mm. Um, it's unsurprising. I think that for me, the Gaza War is a little too generic. I mean, we've spoken about Gaza Wars, you know, uh, many of the previous operations right. are loosely referred to as the Gaza War, the war in Gaza. It's a very, very generic. It's not, it's not particularly descriptive in terms of um, exactly what happened or when it occurred. It's nothing like the Six Day War. It's not like the Yom Kippur War. You know, we know exactly what you're talking about when those names are pulled out. The Gaza War feels a little bit too generic. And so it's unsurprising that one of the other two are more likely to be chosen, at least in my opinion. Yeah. So far in the lead, we have the Genesis Wall. It's taking 60% of the votes. Um, Charles says, to hell with the name, just get finished. <laughs> there we go. All right. Anthony, can we just get on with some news about, uh, you know, what's, what's happened in the last 24 hours since we've spoken to you? Yeah. Um so unfortunately, again, a list of names has been released of soldiers who've been killed um, in this war. And, um, you know, the casualties continue to mount. We're now um, at almost 140 soldiers who have been killed since the ground operation began. Every name is so meaningful to us. Um, we, we, we just we don't consider this just to be oh, another day of casualties because um, work needs to be done. Every single name is highly meaningful. Um, children and parents and wives and husbands and families left behind in the wake of this tragedy. The latest two names are reserve soldiers. Um, and when they say reserve soldiers, it means that those are people who are not young serving in the army right now, um, but they have already done their service in the army and they have returned, have left lives behind at home and have returned back to the military and service of our country. And many of them have 
jobs and families and children uh, and, and spouses at home. And so for us, this is a massive tragedy. Um, yesterday, we had a very, very sinister move on the part of Hamas, where they released this video showing three elderly hostages in the video. Um, each They are looking uh, uh, quite bedraggled with beards grown out, all three males. Um, and um, the, I, I will be honest and tell you that I chose not to view the video. Um, I did see the report and I did see one of the pictures of the three men um, that was published, but I didn't watch the video that was released. And I find this whole concept of releasing videos of hostages to be very, very sinister and cynical and unnecessary. And the problem is that it gets so many views that people become convinced by whatever they see in that video, not realizing or not willing to acknowledge that much of what goes on in those videos is actually orchestrated, is actually um, set up by Hamas. And whatever they say and whatever they do is usually scripted by Hamas in order to send a certain message. So I personally chose not to watch the video. Um, But I know that many of you probably will have the opportunity to watch the video. And I just caution you to be aware of the extent to which Hamas is behaving so cynically in this war, creating certain public relations, creating certain impression of the viewing public. When people see a video, they immediately think that this must be gospel. This must be Torah Misenai. This must be the absolute truth. And there is no room for questioning what goes on in the video. And I caution you just to be caught, to be very, very careful about believing everything that you see. Exactly. Of course, we do see that there is life. There is life. And that's important. We're not exactly sure uh, when the video was taken. At least I'm not sure because I haven't watched it. They may well have mentioned a date and we've been able to timestamp um, events. But, uh, but just be very, very cautious and be, be, be aware of the fact that Hamas is using this in a very, very cynical way. Um, the other thing that I wanted to just mention and is... Anthony, can I just again, ask, sorry, before, just before we move on, can sure. I just ask you, why is nobody insisting, especially organizations like the Red Cross or the United Nations, why is nobody insisting on proof of life from Hamas? Um, <laughs> um, I, I could be asking you the same question because I have no idea what the answer to that is. Um, the the, the uh, chairman of the International Committee of the Red Cross actually came to Israel and met with Prime Minister Netanyahu where they had a discussion about the behavior of the Red Cross because it is our view that the Red Cross have been behaving, behaving less than uh, appropriately in terms of what the Red Cross has really sets itself up to be able to do. Usually Red Cross is this um, go-between organization which is independent and which is access to places and people um, that other people that other parties don't have access to and yes on this occasion the Red Cross has been extremely ineffective in providing basic medication to people who really needed people who are ill and dependent on the medication uh, getting proof of life getting all the basic things the Red Cross has been unable to do so the United Nations I wouldn't expect uh, anything uh, less from them but certainly the Red Cross I think should um, but where it has come to Gaza, and this is not the first time, by the way, we had it with Gilad Jalit, and we've had it with other events as well. The Red Cross has never, never somehow fought its, its, fought its corner in terms of getting access to people that um, are in Gaza and being held by Hamas. So um, this particular event doesn't come as any surprise to me. It's just more of the same, really. Okay, so, um, oh my gosh, can we just... 
before we wrap up, Anthony, I just want to go through some of these answers. So a lot of, um, and this just isn't a time for me to count up all the votes that are coming through. A lot of votes for the name Genesis War. Charles, as I said, he says to hell with the name, just get finished. Um, some other votes coming in for the Simchat Torah War. Uh, the 7th of October, Gaza war is recognized worldwide, says Mavis, and she's listening to us in mm. Israel. Uh, Madeleine agrees with Charles, to hell with it, just get it finished. Um, Yossi B says, I like Black Sabbath personally, however my vote goes to Simcha Torah war. Uh, Gilad says, I think it should be called the Erase Hamas war. Well, I don't know if that's actually mm. possible, Gilad. Um, do you agree with Gilad? Let us know. 34519 is the text line or 0618951019. Anton, listening to us in Cape Town, he says none. Genesis is too close to the word genocide. Gaza, no, since it doesn't refer to Hamas. And Simcha Torah really doesn't make sense either. The 10-7 war, that's what he's suggesting. So uh, you send us your suggestions or your vote. Anthony Reich, that is where we leave it today. But I look forward we'll to speaking to you tomorrow. tomorrow. Yes, and uh, yeah, let's maybe we can focus in on what's happening on the northern border tomorrow. We will do. Thank you very, very much. That's Antina Reich, our Israel correspondent. Next up is News with Lindy. That Israel report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Hi, it's Barry Cohen from the Blue Agency. Israel is currently facing one of its biggest challenges ever. All of Klal Israel is praying for the safety of our soldiers and the return of the hostages. We hope and pray that our soldiers and security forces will prevail and that they will all return home speedily and triumphant. We hold the hands of our clients and friends who have children serving in Sahal, who are protecting Israel and Jews around the world. May Hashem protect us all. Yeah.